and welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We're back once again with our review show. Still playing a little bit of catch up at the moment, but we're almost there. We've been firing out these sort of three weeks worth of review type shows. This week it's going to be two weeks of reviews, which may be the format moving forward. We shall see. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing mostly on titles from the 22nd of September and the 29th of September. So, as always, spoilers will be here, mostly light, but if there is anything you want to skip past, just have a look into that description and look at those timestamps. So, your host is always Alan, the owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast, and joined as always by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening and happy Friday to you, sir. And to you. It's funny to be recording on a on a Friday evening, but uh, but it's nice. It's nice. I mean, I know we've we've tried to get together a couple of times this this week to record, but between one thing and another, uh, it's just been it's been difficult. So normally we would record on a, a Monday evening or a Tuesday evening, but uh, but we find ourselves on a Friday, and it's, it's not a bad way to start the weekend. Not at all. I may have had a small glass of wine before we started this, but you know who's watching. I may have one in front of me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we haven't been able to record up until now is because it's all Keith's fault, really, because, you know, I've been yeah. spending evenings reading Immortal Hulk because he's banged on about it for so, so long. And I made this uh, big promise that I would read it all when issue 50 came out, which, of course, dropped this week on new comic book day, the 13th of October. You have finished it. I'm at issue 16. What a run. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree being like 30 four issues further ahead than you you know it is it is such a run but even at that stage alan it had already you know separated itself from the herd and and, and proven you know do you remember I, I don't know was it was it one of the big new year's shows we did mm-hmm. that uh that we were just like this is this is the first issue was just something special the alex ross covers and the just what what ewing was doing and uh yeah abs i mean it's where ewing really stepped up you know, it was where he was maybe first, first rec- really recognized. Yeah, he was, you know? he was doing bits and pieces like what didn't he do a run on? Was it Uncanny X Men? He did a run on, and mm. he was doing a few things here and there, but not really doing the big issues, so to speak. But you know, Mortal Hulk's a funny one because it's you know there's a there's r- whispers around the industry that it was a Mortal Hulk was the reason that Tom King's Batman run got cut from a hundred issues to eighty five issues because there was one week where a Mortal Hulk outsold Batman. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and apparently the big wigs at DC were not happy at this, so that was one of the re- one of the rumors, shall we say? No, no nothing I substantial, see. but one yeah, of the rumors. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I, I mean it really is outstanding. Um, you know, obviously I have no interest in spoiling it for you, but it just it's a having finished it. It's just a character defining run. It's it's up there to my mind with the best the best superhero modern superhero comic runs of all time of of, of, of the modern era. You know, it's. It really is something. Yeah, and of course you've now finished it because it came out this week and Miracle mm-hmm. of Miracles. I am actually reading a pull list in the week that that pull list was released. It's miracles incredible. happen. Miracles yeah, happen. It's been, it's been months. It's been it's been months and uh, it's been months that have, I guess have made me realise it's been months that have been on the go and just but it's been great. Just feeling like I'm up to date and. Uh, uh, and keeping up to date you know let's see how long it lasts but <laughs> i'm not too sure how long it'll last i know that uh we'll both be having busy lives over the next few weeks next few months uh, uh, as well and obviously one of the things you're massively involved in uh stendhal festival not too long uh finished for 2021 but looking forward to 2022 already yeah absolutely um and uh, and thanks for mentioning it um so yeah stendhal festival is uh 
Northern Ireland's largest outdoor music camping festival, and uh, I've worked on it for for many many years. The charity that I work for uh, is involved as well, and uh, so. This morning, they released their super early bird tickets for 2022. Um, so things are starting to move there. So keep an eye on standalfestival.com. And if you're interested in getting along, get yourself a super early bird ticket uh, and, uh, and support the Northern, Northern Irish music industry. Some great people involved with, with that festival. Yeah, hopefully this, you'll get along yourself one of these days. I was days. literally just about to say, hopefully this will be the year we can actually fulfill that promise and get down. I mean, we've been chatting even with the organizers of it about maybe even taking a stall down there you know integrating some sort of way of the store having representation there as well as obviously just enjoying a, a good weekend Ooh. music festival so you never know 2022 you know coincide with the fifth anniversary of coffee and heroes who knows might be yeah, a, might be a good time to do it that sounds good it's uh they've announced that it's going to be thursday the 30th of uh of june through to saturday the 2nd of july this year so that uh, thursday friday saturday uh plus evenings yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the dates mark them in your diary yeah I must definitely keep an eye out for that but you know we, we have obviously been busy over the last little while but you know we, we still find time to do things other than read comics I mean the it's it's probably winding you up a little bit you keep obviously talking so highly about why the last man it's you know I've, I've mentioned a million times before how much I love the comics so much but you know finally decided to start a new show this week and it was not why the last man it was a wrestling show called Heels which is awesome that's uh, mm-hmm. what Stephen Amell did next, as it's otherwise known after obviously finishing up eight years on Arrow. It's to, to do with the wrestling family, just sort of down in the deep south of America. And, you know, it's sort of the, the social hub of a small town and it's people heavily invested in, in wrestling and so forth. But, you know, some of the, the bigger company scouts come in and they might be taking their prize wrestler away and stuff like that. But very, very good. It's only eight or ten episodes, I think, for the first season. We're, we're four episodes into it now. But I think even if you didn't have a, a love of wrestling, I think you'd still really enjoy it. It's got good family dynamics, good characters, good bit of humor to it. And I'm also convinced that Stephen Amell was just frustrated for eight years. He couldn't swear an arrow because <laughs> every fourth word in this show is F this, F that. But yeah, uh... very, very good. I think even someone who's not a big wrestling mark like yourself would actually get something out of it. What are you watching it on? Uh, it's on Amazon. Amazon Prime. Okay. All right. I'll maybe have a. I'll maybe have a wee look then. I'm. Uh, I'm also uh, watching a show. It's on uh, Disney Plus. It's on the Stars. I think it's the Stars mm-hmm. section of that. And it's one that. Uh, it's one that flew under the radar. I think whenever it was released, and I feel like if it had been released on Netflix, it would have been a big deal. Like mm-hmm. it would have been a big splash because it is a. It's a great adaptation of uh, the War of the Worlds, which is one of my favorite stories, in particular the uh, the Jeff Wayne uh, audio adaptation, mm-hmm. the, the album Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds. But um, this was 2019 was the first season, I think, and then the second season I think was made sort of, I think just before the pandemic, I think. I'm not sure, but it stars uh, Gabriel Byrne, of course, a, a well-known Irish actor and Irish stage actor. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a slightly different take. It's a French and UK production. Uh, and it, obviously, aliens invade the world, the modern the modern world, rather than the, the original Victorian world that was invaded, the Georgian world that was invaded in the, in the story, uh, the HUL story. But yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, and it doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't pull any punches. I, I knew it wasn't messing around when the first individual you see being killed as a kid. Uh, I was like, okay, this is not this is not screwing about here. 
so I, it's only I think it's only eight episodes a season, and I just started the second season. And it's uh, yeah, very very enjoyable, very enjoyable. It's amazing the things that are making a, an appearance on the Disney Network. You know, you know, you think of Disney Plus, you think of you know all ages family oriented entertainment. And then they took all the seasons of Walking Dead on there, and now you're talking about shows like this. So. Yeah, never know. Because Disney owns the world. Well, this is true, but uh, well, we say that, but there is a superhero movie out this weekend in cinemas, and it's not actually Disney related. It's part of the the Sony verse, if you will. It's not um, Disney related yet. Yeah, I mean, it still has an, an association with Marvel logo in there, but God, I hope Disney come along and take it because I don't like what Sony are doing. But uh, it's uh, going to be the second Venom movies hitting this weekend, which I believe is Let There Be Carnage. It's called. So you've got Tom Hardy back, you've got Michelle Williams back, but you've got Woody Harrelson entering this one as Carnage or Cletus Cassidy. I'm not excited for this at all. And, you know, when it comes to superhero movies, I tend to get excited about pretty much any of them. And you would think, based on the last year and a half we've had, you know, a real lack of superhero content in terms of cinema releases, but I just can't get myself excited about this at all. Uh, it's just because the first one was so woeful, and the trailer that we've seen it was also woeful. Yeah. Um, so I just no, had no... I had no interest whatsoever. I, I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I, uh, yeah, that, that must, that must be it. I, I mean, I'm not pushed to to go to the cinema to see it. I'll, I'll probably eventually see it, but yeah. even even then, I, I've, the the stuff that that Sony, Fox are producing, it's just not up to, it's not up to the same standard. Well, there's think. there's the odd exception. I would put Days of Future Past and Logan up there. But outside yeah, yeah, of no, that, I, you do struggle yeah. to put stuff up with the MCU. But it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a regular in the store today, Matthew, and you know he's clearly the eternal optimist because you know the way I I said that with Venom Two, I wasn't looking forward to it already, but the trailer made it look worse because the trailers are usually filled with big moments, things that get you excited to go and see a movie, and the trailer did nothing for me. And his take on it was, well, hopefully the trailer was just all the bad bits, and the, they're saving all the good bits for the movie. <laughs> That seems like strange market. That is optimism at its finest, I think. But uh-huh. who knows? But one thing I'm excited to see, though, Halloween Kills is out this week. And I was a big fan of the sort of reimagining slash reboot slash sequel of, of Halloween that came out a couple of years back. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it basically ignored all the Halloween sequels, just jumped straight in from Halloween 1. And uh, the, the second one is called Halloween Kills, and it's out this weekend. Right. I do have Very to be cool. careful whether I take Vicky or not because she may have laughed at a gruesome kill in the first one, which has me <laughs> slightly concerned for my safety. But uh, we'll see. Um, talking about uh, talking about uh, both gruesome kills and Woody Harrelson, finally got around to watching uh, Zombieland. Uh, Double two. tap, is it? Double tap, yeah. With uh, <laughs> Woody Harrelson as Tallahassee. Uh, that was, yeah, it was actually really enjoyable. It was a really enjoyable flick. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first one, and the second one was just enjoyable. But have you watched? Um, Ryan Reynolds' new flick yet? No, Free, free guy. guy. No, not yet. I don't know uh, if I could handle two hours of Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. I, it's, I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I said before. Maybe, maybe I have. But uh, it's like um, it's like the Truman Show for the for the Gen Z gamer set. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, very very enjoyable. Very very funny and and very uh, original. I think very quirky. So worth a look. I think you'd enjoy it. Well, I think talking about big movies, surely next week sees the release of finally your most anticipated movie of the last couple of years. I would say. Yeah, buddy, we've got uh, we've got uh, Dennis uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, adaptation of Dune uh, coming out. Um, so I, I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's a, a massive uh, 
science fiction epic. Uh, it's been uh, unfilmable unfilm up until now, as uh, as David Lynch rightly proved. Um, you know, so it's uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to to seeing what happens here. Uh, Timothy Chamelay, isn't it? Chamelay. Uh, and uh, um, got Zendaya yeah, in there. Zendaya. You've got yeah. uh, Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa in a role. You've got Batista in a role. You've got mm-hmm. uh, oh, there's a few others just don't quite come yeah, to mind. Rebecca absolutely. Ferguson, I believe. So there's yeah, so really interested in and and what's what they're doing with it. You know, um, there's there's a couple of I imagine there's going to be a couple of changes. I notice already they're they're replacing the word, uh, the word jihad with the word crusade, uh, which is an interesting uh, an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, that's come to mean. It's, it, yeah, obviously, the, <laughs> jihad has come into the uh, <laughs> the Western uh, view over the last <laughs> ten or twenty years to mean slightly uh, different know, connotation, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but crusades no better, really. Um, so yeah, it's but it's and I think there's there's a, a larger there's going to be a larger focus on on female characters than there was in the original novel. Um, it being a product of its time as well, but it's it's such a complex uh, story ecologically, politically, personally. Um, so many characters playing off one another. Uh, I, I'm really really interested to see what they do, and uh, they they have it seems that the early reviews seem to suggest see it on the biggest screen you possibly can. So. Shall we plan a wee cinema trip? I think that would be a plan. It's it's started. It's actually been out a couple of weeks worldwide in different markets, and money wise, it seems to be doing well because it is. It does have to do well for them to make a sequel to it, obviously yes. for Villeneuve to tell the whole story. So yeah, they'll definitely have uh definitely have our money. I think a cinema trip over the weekend is definitely called for, and speaking as of, you say, uh, find the biggest screen gra- possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And speaking of, of grabbing all your money, I see DC Fandom is this uh, is this weekend. Oh yes, DC Fandom kicks off six p.m. on Saturday. So by the time you listen to this, it may have already happened. You may be anticipating it starting, but. DC Fandom was sort of a, a necessity last year. It was essentially DC's way of holding their own Comic-Con, but they did it virtually. They announced new projects. They had interviews with creators, uh, both in comics, TV, and uh, the film world as well. They showed off new trailers, upcoming projects, stuff from their games division. And this year's one is very heavily leaning towards some big movie stuff. You know, you've got, there's going to be a new trailer for The Batman, the Pattinson Ooh. one. Early reviews are making it sound like seven set in the uh, in a in a superhero universe, which I just love the idea of a dark detective Batman story. We've seen Batman save the city, we've seen Batman save the world, we've seen all these different things. We've never just seen a down and dirty detective story where he uses his intelligence and his resources. And it looks like the Riddler's the the main bad guy here. It looks like Paul Dano's playing that role. You have Colin Farrell as uh, as the Penguin, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, and of course Pattinson as Batman, and everything released so far. If this just looks fantastic, adult, grown up, yeah. I'm, we we've we've chatted a little bit about it. You know, do I want to watch the trailer? Do I not? It'd be impossible to ignore. It's not until March next year, I think. And mm-hmm. given the store setting and people liking to chat about the latest things and you know everything else, I think I'm going to have to watch it. So. But it's a very small part of fandom. There's going to be stuff on Aquaman 2. There's going to be stuff on Black Adam. There's going to be stuff for their upcoming TV shows. Uh, the Rockstar games. There's going to be some comics uh, stuff in there as well. So definitely well worth checking out. Just go to dcfandom.com and you watch it all through there. As I say, it kicks off 6 p.m. on the 16th of October. So plenty to look forward to there for a, a DC head like myself. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to 
to the Batman movie, all everything that you said, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to. But I'm going to skip the trailer. Um, I don't have the same. For some reason, I don't really have the same problem with spoilers as uh, obviously I don't, I'm not behind the counter uh, quite as often as you are. Uh, although sometimes you know I land down the shop and end up behind the counter without even even this you week, know, you know, buy or leave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but um, so I don't have that same problem and i also don't have the same problem with spoilers on the internet i don't know i can't understand how people end up in that situation maybe i'm just so disengaged from it that <laughs> yeah i'd agree with that as well i mean i i'm able to actively avoid spoilers just because i don't go looking for them but i think with an official trailer i can watch one or two but i'm definitely past the days of watching four trailers for something on tv spots and this and that like one or two trailers is more than enough so but yeah i just it's Batman. I, I have to watch this. I, it just has to be done. But, you know, that's 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 one of my top fandoms, whereas I see where we've got some information here on one of your top fandoms. So what's, what's this Strange New Worlds about? Oh, yeah. So Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Strange New Worlds has wrapped shooting. Uh, Anson Mount, who plays Captain Christopher Pike and played Christopher Pike in second season of um, Discovery, has confirmed via video post that the filament has been completed on the first season, uh, which was announced, I think, in May last year. So the series, Discovery, you know, was a was a prequel series to Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Obviously, uh, Captain Kirk and William Shatner have been in the news a lot this this particular week uh, with him disappearing up into space on uh, Jeff Bezos' penis ship. Um, but the series marks a return to... So Strange New Worlds is, is, is old school Star Trek, standalone episodes, really optimistic tone and follows the crew of the USS Enterprise under Cat under Captain Pike before Captain Kirk took over. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. It's it's using a lot of the Mandalorian style stagecraft technology that that, that they used in to film that show. And it stars uh, Rebecca Rumian, um, who was Mystique in the original X-Men movies. As number one, Ethan Peck as Spock. Uh, we've got uh, Jess Bush as Nurse Christine Chapel, Christina Chong as uh, Lan Noonien Singh, who is a, a pregenitor of, uh, I guess, of Data's creator and, and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, so, yeah, looking looking really good, uh, looking really good. Uh, and I think that's premiering in, in 2022, so the middle of the year, next year. So exciting stuff. Yeah, and then plenty on the superhero side for TV as well. Samuel Jackson's revealed he started filming on Secret Evasion, which of course will be another uh, Disney Plus original show, which will probably not be until next year. But before we get to that, we do have Hawkeye landing 24th of November. Two episodes it's going to drop. Uh, mm-hmm. This is probably when it came to the Disney Plus announcements for all the TV shows. Falcon Winter Soldier was a close second, but this was definitely my most anticipated. You know, we've we've talked about it here before, the Fraction Azure run, how good it is. Hopefully that this was going to take a lot of its cues from it, and it definitely looks like that from the trailers. So uh, 24th of November, that hits. I may have I may be behind on what if, but I will be watching Hawkeye pretty much the second that lands, I would say. <laughs> I would, you know, what if is an, is an easy one to catch up on because they're all just half-hour episodes. And they're standalone, so you can you can pop them on when you're having your dinner or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, it's good fun. But uh, yeah, I am very much looking forward to Hawkeye, especially after the trailer dropped. Yeah, which was phenomenal and and confirmed a lot of those uh, a lot of those uh, moments from that particular run. Uh, you know, the tracksuit wearing Russian 
<laughs> Russian bros. <laughs> Tracksuit mafia and pizza dog. That's all I wanted. Yeah, um, so Both of them are there. We're going to get all of that. But yeah, the the link to Ronan and Kate Bishop and and all of that stuff. So it'll it's really very much linked to the you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Infinity War and Endgame and and all of that stuff. So yeah, this will be this will be something. And you know, this will be a Clint who. It's funny because the last time obviously we saw um, Natasha was in the prequel movie. And it's keeping in mind that that was a prequel movie that she fought with him to give her life uh, in Vormir in order to get the, the Soul Stone. And uh, this will be a Clint who is still dealing with the death of his his best friend, I think, as well. You know, and, and, and I think that there just seems to be that someone has stolen his Ronan identity, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, the identity that, that Natasha's talked him out of, really. Um, so this would be good fun. This would be really good fun. Of course, there was that stinger with Black Widow as well, with uh, Elena being told uh-huh. that uh, Hawkeye was responsible for her sister's death. So we can look forward to maybe a little bit of uh, a wrap up from that as well. Yeah, Florence Pugh, she was so good in that role. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Yeah, and then just finished off on the TV movie side of thing. Obviously, talking about Hawkeye will be one of the hottest shows of the year, but. I think the hottest show of this year that you can't, you know, turn around and not say a news article about it. I haven't watched any of it. Squid Game, you checked it out yet? Watched the first. Uh, watched the first episode. I know some of the regulars have uh, have watched it right the way through. Um, watched the first episode. Don't know. Not sure. Not can't figure out what the big deal is. Yeah. Um, it was, was it enough to bring you back for a second episode? I might watch a second episode. Maybe. Uh, Very non-committal. <laughs> yeah, very non-committal. I'm watching my way through the rest of the development, and I've got War of the Worlds, and one of the best. you know, yeah. So, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, um, yes, I'll probably watch the second episode. But it, it's just mad to see, you know, a a Korean show like that. You know, there, there's a lot of they, they've really invested in their in, in the entertainment their entertainment industry, and I think you're going to see more and more and more of that. Uh, you know, coming from that particular that particular country. Uh, they did the same with their steel industry uh, not so long ago, where they became the fourth biggest producer in the world by investing in it. So it's completely opposite of what the UK do. They divest rather than invest, you know. Um, so I would say you're going to see more and more of it. I think you need a separate podcast to discuss these kind of things, Keith. This is supposed to be a light and fluffy comics podcast. <laughs> you're probably you're probably right, yeah. <laughs> well, sure, why don't we go to something nice and light and fluffy in the comic news and look at what Tom Taylor announced this week that oh, not at all set the world on fire. Um yeah, I mean, comics are interesting. I mean, people talk a lot about how comics is like a secondary art form, you know, compared to TV and movies and how, you know, it's it's not that popular and people don't talk about it that much and it doesn't, you know, when infiltrate pop culture, shall we say, until things are adapted for TV or movies, that kind of thing. Well, Tom Taylor broke the internet and broke the world this week. Uh, everything from CNN to BBC to everywhere was covering the fact that they made an announcement on, I believe it was on National Coming Out Day, about uh, his Superman Son of Kal-El series and something that was planned to come out in issue five. Come out. Good word choice, Al. See what you did there, yeah. yeah indeed. Yeah, so that's uh, the, the announcement that uh, that uh, John Kent, the son of Kal-El, is bi. Uh, he's bisexual. Um, which, you know, I'm <laughs> amazed that it's such a such a massive, a massive thing. But I am so pleased because comics... You know what? What draws us to comic books? What 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 makes me a Spider Man fan? What makes me a Spider Man fan is that whenever I started reading Spider Man, I saw myself in Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I saw the nerdy, 
you know, uh, couldn't stick up for himself, you know, uh, came, you know, science nerd who, you know, wasn't big into sports and got bullied a bit. Uh, you know, that, that, that's what I saw. And, 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 and so I was represented, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So why it's taken this long for, you know, for that sort of representation and a major, a major superhero to come around. It's a wee bit, it's well past times, but, but good for you, Tom Taylor. Yeah, it's just interesting because I think a lot of the sort of backlash towards it was because, well, unsurprisingly to do with ignorance because so many people reading these headlines of, you know, Tom Taylor turns Superman gay and everyone assumes it's Clark Kent, assumption being the mother of all, excuse my language, fuck-ups as we all know. And, like, the thing about it is it's not changing characters for the sake of changing characters or to pander or anything like that. This was an this was an opportunity for a character who has, you know, a very short history in comics who has never really had anything long-standing in terms of relationships or defining characteristics or things. It was a good opportunity for the modern world, as you say, to have that representation, have that inclusiveness, which is something I think comics does better probably than most industries in the world. And therefore, if people actually read the story, I don't think people would have got so annoyed about it, but it also sums up the attention span and the and i think also how quick people are to just get angry these days you know and just get butthurt about things i just don't get part it. of me part of me wishes it was clark uh he certainly wouldn't have been the first man who has been married and had a kid and then gone actually you know what i i might not be heterosexual I, you know but dc have done that already because they have so, alan scott green lantern have, who of yeah, course absolutely. had that but who, who's very much a background you know, character, but no, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's fantastic. I think it's great that that uh, people of all all walks of life can see themselves and 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 superheroes the way that we, you know, as probably you know white cisgender heterosexual males have been able to see for way way too long. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, I. I'm disappointed that it has got the reaction it has because it just shows that there are still so many ignorant, ignorant people in the world. Well, thankfully, it got just as much positive reaction as it did negative. So yeah, that's, that's what you got to focus on with it, you know. But it is really, really funny, though, that, you know, they're obviously making him bisexual and all the rest. But who's, who's he falling for? A reporter. So clearly the Kents have, you know... They have a type. A reporter who idolizes his mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, I mean, Tom Taylor, again, just hits it in the heart. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, so good stuff. And uh, and one that I know that uh, that uh, both you and I are pleased about, that Vicky is absolutely ecstatic about. Yeah, I think her head may have exploded last week. So last week was New York Comic Con, and Brian K. Vaughan was there doing a panel for Why the Last Man, obviously a TV show kicking off recently. And uh, then a slide was put up of a cover for Saga issue 55, and it is back at long last. It's going to be back in January, kicking off with a brand new story arc, issue 55. Amazingly as well, it's going to be kept at a $3 price point. Saga's always been a $3 comic. The Walking Dead was the exact same, in that it was such a long-running series that they knew they had the audience there, that they didn't have to make it $4, $5, that kind of thing. And this $3 issue is also going to be, I think, a double-sized issue. So really, really pleased to see Saga coming back. You know, it's it's one that we recommend in store all the time. It's, it's a great example of a comic book that, you know, is telling a very adult story. 
it's got great world building as always it's got great characters and it's 54 issues and like get caught up on it if you get a chance because it is one of the best things around and now finally light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> finally coming back <laughs> i don't know what i'm going to do because uh, i've only ever read it in compendiums like you're either <laughs> you're either going to wait 11 years for that to come out or uh you're jumping on the singles mr miller we shall yeah, soon see. i don't know i don't know we'll see what we'll see what happens we'll see how it goes we'll work something out i'm quite sure well that's but, it yeah, i mean excited for it to come back well that's it it's, it's announced for january and the solicitations are starting to drop at the moment they always drop a wee bit before the previews books fully come out so there'll definitely be a previews podcast coming soon from us uh dc just dropped their solicitations tonight via newsorama marvel have started announcing a few bits and pieces including one i'm very excited about a chip sadarsky electra uh daredevil i think it's a three issue miniseries it's really interesting that'll be the, our next podcast previous podcast will be the solicitations for january won't they it will so indeed. Start, of the, start of the new year so interesting well indeed but that's january and what we're going to be focusing on for the rest of the pod now is september so we've already covered the first few weeks of september in the last pod we're going to be finishing off september tonight looking at releases from the 22nd and the 29th as well and there was a lot of stuff to cover in these two weeks Oof. i think we both had big big weeks these two so for the 22nd of September, my titles were 27 in total. I had 9 DC, 4 Marvel, and 14 Indie. Um, where do you see this for a swing? What did you have? <laughs> I had 21 titles. Uh, I had 2 DC uh, to your 9. Uh, I had 10 Marvel, and I had 7 Indie. Yeah, so a couple of busy weeks definitely for us uh, with that first one, as I say, both in the in the 20s in terms of titles and, and loads of good stuff to look through as well. So why don't you kick things off for us then with a, a little Marvel title to, to start off with? Yes, sir. So Alien Number 7 by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Sal LaRocca um, is beginning a new and at least at this point a seemingly unrelated arc set two years after the previous as a group of religious folks who have left Earth and overseen the terraforming of a moon on a on a Wyland Wyland Yutani contract, uh, which is ending there, that leaves them with ownership of this Eden that they've created. And I'm not quite sure what Wyland Yutani is getting out of this, but I'm quite sure they're getting something. Uh, the bastards that they are. The final ship to the colony finds itself, of course, boarded by a xenomorph, which eventually crashes on the moon. So it's not looking good. I mean, I say that, but it is looking good. Sal LaRocca's art is great, and this is the first time in this series that he's been able to draw wider open spaces because everything up until now has been quite close and claustrophobic in, the, in a way that, you know, defines Alien. But those those open spaces look very, very welcoming, but I'd imagine the xenomorphs that land there won't mind either way. No, I thought this was a really interesting issue because obviously the first uh, story arc focused on completely different characters, completely different time set, and... I did wonder what Phil Kennedy Johnson was going to be doing. Would it be one character we're following through many arcs or would it be jumping around a bit? And And I thought this was great because it meant that if you had missed the first trade, you could jump straight in at number seven because it was a brand new story arc, brand new characters. So you can always catch up trade-wise if you want to read the first one. So, yeah. I don't doubt that we'll be coming back to Gaben Company in future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the, from the first arc, I would I would say we'll, we'll see some intertwining, but... I'm very happy with the way this series is panning out. Excellent. So Alien number seven. So first sort of quickfire honorable mention for myself is a title uh, we pushed quite a bit in the previews pod a little while back, as ever we always say about following creators. So He Who Fights With Monsters, number one. So 
This was written by Francesco Artabani and art by Werther Deladera. So this is from a smaller uh, comics publisher called Ablaze. And to be honest, I may have passed this by if it wasn't for that age-old in-store advice of fallen creators. So for this one, it was a new creator-owned title featuring artwork by the artist slash co-creator of Something That's Killing the Children. Yes, please. So yeah, for this one, World War II history imbued with mysticism, a chance for the Jews to fight back, but at you know, what cost to their humanity. I just thought this was a great first issue. Well, issue 2 just landed there uh, this week as well, so very much looking forward to the rest of this looking forward to the rest of the series again anything with a little hint of supernatural but also that world war sort of um time frame is is definitely right up my alley mm, i read it i enjoyed it uh enough to get issue two uh i don't know how much longer i'll be staying on it um i don't i just don't think the story's grabbing me as you say supernatural world war two there's something else out there that's doing that right now uh, which I really enjoyed uh, from AWA, but we'll talk about that another time. I have absolutely no doubt. But one title I do know you'll definitely be sticking to at uh, the very end, I would say. We're just reaching the halfway point. 100% halfway through uh, the Supergirl Girl of Tomorrow series. Um, it's an eight-part series. This was issue four, and this issue was, you know, as as impactful as the last issue was, this one is more so. And wait for it, Alan. This is the best work of Tom King that I have ever read, this series and this particular issue of this series. And I say that having recently read Sheriff of Babylon. Um, I think this particular issue is the best thing Tom King has done that I've read. The issue chronicles, it's a, a vignette of victims and consequences to the people and planets that Ruthie and Kara's uh, quarry have encountered and laid waste to. It's absolutely beautifully presented by Bill Quasevoli and colorist Mateus Lopez. The, it totally, and I have from the start, has felt like pulpy science fiction in the, in the John Carter of Mars, Flash Gordon sort of way, but in the best way with strange creatures and aliens back, alien backgrounds. And at the same time, it just carries this absolutely incredible humanity and depth and emotion. This is the comic medium I think at nearly its absolute best. And Kara, Supergirl has fast become one of my favorite DC heroes, despite, or maybe because of, like in this issue, all her power is just stilled and is absolutely worthless. It's all about her character. Uh, this was just a phenomenal issue, what do you reckon? Yeah, 100% agree. It's, uh, it's, it's a shame in a way it's only eight issues as opposed to the usual Tom Keane preferred maxi series length of 12 because this this is a great book i mean it's it's brilliantly written it it always looks an absolute joy it's colored so well uh it introduces so many interesting ideas but also new worlds yeah fantastic stuff so it is and again it's it's made you care about a character that probably before this series i didn't really have much of an interest in yeah absolutely absolutely agree and speaking of which and uh uh, and then uh, switching to Batman rather than Superman. What have you got? Yeah, and I'm again talking about a character that I didn't really think I would care that much about. But uh, <laughs> exactly, this was a, a one shot. You had Batman's Secret Files, Miracle Molly number one, come out this week. So, written by James Tinian the fourth, art by Danny. So, first of all, it was it was awesome to see Tinian's name on this. You know, he created the character of Miracle Molly, uh, and you always worry when someone comes in to tell an origin story. But no, Tinian was was on writing here and. Danny is an artist I am really keeping an eye on. Did great work on Coffinbound for Image Comics. Great work in this and then as the artist on Arkham City, The Order of the World. 
And with this one, I thought the art was fantastic. It's sort of showing off the worlds of cyberpunk, but also like large-scale corporate espionage as well with a lot of skill, a lot of panache. I don't always love these Secret Files one-shots. I find they can be a little bit hit and miss, and you wonder sometimes why a character's origin story just can't be incorporated into the main title. But this was awesome. Uh, It was not the origin I was expecting for this character. I was expecting another, you know thinly plotted you know punchline type thing or you know a harley quinn knockoff or something like that but because there was a lot of fanfare when miracle molly appeared in issue 108 of batman and so many variant covers and you know i think i remember patty saying that he was sick of the character before the issue had even launched just because she was everywhere Mm. you know the speculators buzz alone nearly turned me off the character but this one shot brought me all the way back around. I'm actually really looking forward to more of the character. I, I knew you picked this up maybe a, a week or so later than normal. Yeah, I mean, I picked this up just in your say-so. Um, I was interested in the Gardener, uh, Batman Secret Files one shot, and the Peacekeeper one one shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and that, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, like Punchline, just a bit, I couldn't see her far enough away. But Miracle Molly just, I don't know, she just she just grabbed me a wee bit, mm-hmm. uh, and so whenever you said that this was so good, I've uh, I've gone ahead and, and grabbed it. So yeah, I'm looking for. I haven't read it yet, but uh, really looking forward to doing so. Especially whenever you mentioned the cyberpunky element and such. No, definitely. I think you'll really really dig it. So uh, yeah, Secret Files, Miracle Molly. There. Why don't you take us over to a little bit of Marvel then? Absolutely. So I've got uh, Fantastic Four number thirty six by Dan Slott and Nico Leone on art. Uh, Nico Leone, if you don't know, is has been about Marvel mostly for for quite a quite a wee while. Um, Spider Man back in two thousand sixteen, and uh, you know does 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 a lot of fill-ins, but but does them very very well. And this this just works well. So this is the fallout of the Bride of Doom and the Death in Four Dimensions anniversary special, which I believe you read, and it showcases possibly the the most merciless action that Dr. Doom has ever perpetrated on his, his long-time enemies, enforcing Johnny Storm's flame into a permanent Nova state. Johnny, the ultimate socialite, you know, the, the, the fun-loving kid, has he's unable to come close to others. He, he, he can't come close to anything without burning it or melting it. He can't eat normal food because it'll just it'll, everything burns up around him. And even the thing who continues to be written so well and really be as the backbone of the, the team. Even his rock hide feels pain and proximity to his best buddy. It's tragic, you know. And then enter Sky, who's Johnny's heartbroken soulmate, you know, heartbroken because Johnny cheated on her with Doom's bride-to-be, uh, Victorious, whose Sky's also been mutated through Doom's effect on Johnny through their soul bond and... After that, it's just one emotional gut punch after another. Johnny removes Sky's soul bond, freeing her. And, uh, oh, just, you know, he says it won't hurt. And she says, he removes it, and she says, you said it wouldn't hurt. Just, oh, terrible, you know. And then, finally, Reed, you know, he sends the dejected human torch far down into the sub-basement of the Baxter building where he'll have to stay in a specially sealed chamber until the Fantastic Four can work out what they're going to do with him. And the thing points out that, you know, the torch has kept a stiff upper lip through the whole ordeal, you know, and everything. And Reed points out that in his present state, Johnny is physically unable to produce teardrops. Just, you know, just great stuff. You know, it brings us to the, the saddest 
I would say, saddest closing line in 60 years of Fantastic Four Adventure, where Reed sums it all up, where he just says, Johnny Storm doesn't get to cry. <laughs> but Keith, but Keith Miller definitely does. <laughs> Keith Miller might. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Fantastic Four is brilliant right now. It's, uh, you know, it's... Uh, you read the you read the anniversary issue, did you? Read the anniversary issue, enjoyed that. I I do have an issue thirty six still in the store, so I might just jump on. I, there's a part of me might go back to the start of it, and obviously Dan Slot's been on now thirty plus issues. Give it another go. It didn't quite grab me at the time, but you know, pick it, up the pick up the Bride of Doom, mm-hmm. or three or four parter, and then just go from there. Just go from there. Cool, cool. Yeah, the last so issue, I think it's from thirty two or thirty three. But uh, yeah, this issue was just phenomenal stuff. But uh, the thing has just been so well written. Yeah, excellent. So, um, and uh, moving from uh, <laughs> moving from that to something completely different. Yeah, something just quite different uh, once again. But uh, this was a, an indie title that t- took my pick of the week a few weeks back. Really, really dug the first issue of this. This is a series called Eat the Rich. Uh, we're talking issue two now, written by Sarah Gailey and art by Pius Back and. Another fantastic, fantastic issue of this Boom series. You know, we're we're following our main character Joey as she tries to process this absolutely horrendous world of the elite that she has walked into, and she's trying to confront the horror of everyone's actions. She's doubting herself that she really see what she thought she saw, that kind of thing. But she's also trying to convince Aster, who's the son of uh, you know the, the parents in this horrible, horrible world, as to what's really going on here, taking the decision. Which I thought was quite a really interesting leap of faith. She's taking the decision to trust that he's not a part of it and is in fact in danger himself. So beautiful looking issue once again. That it, it's sort of it's interesting as well because it sort of flirts the line between the alluring visuals of the lives of the super rich and then the horrors that lurk beneath. Like there's colourful, you know, beautiful looking sections of the book, but then there's this horrible sort of darkness that pervades into it as well. So yeah, just one of my personal favorite series around at the moment. I think it's only five issues, but it's a, it's achieving a lot in a short space of time. I think uh, very much. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a social commentary on the on the the, the increasing gap between rich and poor, really, isn't it? And mm-hmm. you know that that is typified in the uh, the the maid who it turns out knows that these cannibalistic tendencies exist and they were in the contract, mm-hmm. uh, but. Uh, you know, this girl's sick, she can't afford medication, and so she signed up for what she signed up for knowingly, yeah. willingly, because it's better than the alternative. Jesus, that's bleak. <laughs> Very bleak, to say the least. But yeah, just a, it's just a title that gets under your skin quite a bit as well, and I think the characters are really well developed for only being a couple of issues in as well. So yeah, definitely worth uh, jumping on to if you haven't so far, or obviously once it hits trade, definitely worth searching out. So uh, moving from a number two to a number three. Absolutely. And I think Moon Knight would sort those rich bastards out right and quick. <laughs> uh, you know, so Moon Knight number three from Marvel. Uh, Jed McKay is fast becoming Marvel's golden boy uh, with Black Cat, this, and, and a bunch of other titles. Um, this is a, a creative team, I think, that understands their character and respects what other writers have done to the canon of that character. Respecting it, but and using it while also adding to it. And this is, is brilliantly the case in this issue. Key to this is the continuation of Mark Spector's psychological journey, his own, uh, we talked about Immortal Hulk earlier on, but his own dissociative identity disorder, you know, the, the various Jack Lockley and, and Stephen Grant and, and Mark Spector that exist. If 
that he sort of uses as different identities when he needs them, but but definitely it works against him in some cases. But also the addition of Hunter's Moon, the other, well, I mean, the other Fist of Conshu. Moon Knight has always been the Fist of Conshu, but, you know, everyone you know, has, generally has two fists. So Hunter's Moon is, is his opposite number, the other Fist of Conshu, plus other elements of the Conshu, the Moon God mythos. And Alessandro Capuccio's beautiful depiction of the brutal violence perpetrated by and surrounding Mark is is just phenomenal. And Mr. Knight is just one of the coolest visuals in superhero comics, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the visuals in general in this book are some of the coolest around, I think. It's a, it's always a gorgeous-looking book. Uh, but yeah, really interesting character work, which I'm really enjoying. And the sort of the ease almost with which he's able to take down the big bad in this issue was really really interesting you think this is going to be like a long drawn out sort of and i've no doubt it'll it'll come back around of course but you know sort of setting up this big bad and he just sort of dispatches him really well i mean that was the trick though that that this big bad is the is the other fist of conshu he's he's a zealot he's devoted whereas mark smith mark smith mark smith what (laughs) mark mark specter uh has you know he's served Conchu. He's been betrayed by Conchu. He's you know so he he doesn't follow the rules. You know he's <laughs> you know it's like it's like a, a street fighter fighting a boxer is what it is. Well, speaking of not following the rules, we have our own resident bad boy writer up next, Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> you know, will we ever not recommend anything by this guy? Uh, next up for me was Stillwater number ten, written by the aforementioned Zdarsky, art by Ramon Perez, who is also the co-creator and. Another week, another stellar chip title for me. I Stillwater's been a little bit up and down in places for me just because there's a lot to keep track of. But I think issue 10 might just be the best issue yet. I think it's the perfect setup for a change in the direction of the narrative. You know, we're we're exploring more and more of the characters' motivations and, and the different, quote, ages that people have stalled at in this uh, in this sort of uh, ageless society, if you will, this immortal society where people don't grow old and they can't die. And with issue 10, it's now time to focus on the kids of Stillwater, who, of course, you know, due to the town's unique setup, are not kids at all. You know, what is their part in all of this? What do they want? And I just find it really, really interesting. It's a series that's getting better with each issue, and one of them that raises more and more interesting questions about immortality, you know, both the benefits and the drawbacks of it. I mean... Stillwater still doing it for you? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, the whole immortality thing is right up my street. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say the word that's going to set off the bingo cards. Uh, <laughs> not going to refer to that particular movie Do that we it. haven't watched yet. Um, you know, that's what you should be watching. You owe me that. <laughs> um, More things to add to your list to, to beat me with? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the, the I mean, the idea of... Uh, of kids who stay kids despite you know who stay in the body of children despite the fact that they they're so old it just creeps me out yeah. and it they, they did it beautifully in uh, highlander the tv series where there was a kid who came into his immortality at, at like 10 years old or something in this it was just that constant frustration you know never getting to experience you know things as an adult you know always been been you know it was yeah so i i, I find that really creepy um really terrifying actually in some ways um yeah no no still water is very much still doing it for me excellent then we come to a series that i believe just out of nowhere just ended 
Yeah, absolutely. Guardians of the Galaxy number 18 by Al Ewing and Juan Frigeri um, is a great, if unexpected, send-off to Ewing's run on the title. Um, the last Annihilation crossover, as well as the current volume of the title itself. I've, I've never really been a huge fan of Cosmic Marvel until more recently, when it all came under Mr. Ewing's control. Guardians and Sword have been a tightly plotted intergalactic joy and the last annihilation has been a really good example of that even the one shots um you know there was a there was a Wakanda one a black panther one there was a cable one and you know despite the cosmic scale and doom's secret agenda and it seems to be connected to the upcoming reckoning war that dan slot has been plotting for and suggesting for years and by the way including including doom and the guardians of the galaxy was a master stroke on al Ewing's part you know, despite that scale, it all comes down to the Guardians being a family. So, I mean, I'm really sad to see it go, but it goes out in a high. Uh, and Ewan is, Ewing, Al Ewing is ending more than one character-defining run this month, it seems. Yeah, maybe his slightly lesser known, so to speak. You know, what it, So, 18 issues at reached. It obviously, interesting enough, he had taken that over Guardians from Donny Cates. And mm. starting next month, he'll be taking over venom from donny cates there you are <laughs> so yeah guardians of galaxy 18 so that brought an end to that series but an issue or a series that started this week with a brand new number one for marvel was one that i really dug uh the death of dr strange so mm-hmm. there's our boy jed mckay once again art on yes. this one lee garbet so garbet garbet i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i came to this for a number of reasons you know first of all it's a marvel event that doesn't feel like it's going to be a bloated tale you know, it doesn't feel like it's going to be 300 tie-ins. I'm looking at you, Donny Cates. Uh, you know, I'm loving Strange Academy. Jed McKay, as I say, is becoming more and more of a writer to follow. Lee Garbage drew the excellent Shadecraft for Image Comics recently. So add all of that up, and I think it was a title to look forward to, and the first issue did not disappoint. You know, there's appearances from Marvel characters all over the issue, but you never lose the focus that Doctor Strange is our main one to follow here. And, mm-hmm. and given the title of the book, there's this feeling of dread that just hangs over the entire issue, knowing what is coming for our favorite mystic sorcerer. Really clean, interesting storytelling, really beautiful art, and a whodunit thrown in for good measure. I mean, what more do you need? Thoroughly, thoroughly excellent first issue, I thought. Yeah, you know, and the inclusion of bats, you know, and a whole lot of the whole lot of the things that have become uh, associated with modern Doctor Strange. It's all it's it's classic stuff and modern stuff. Uh, it's Doctor Strange done really, really well. Uh, some of the best, you know, since since back whenever Steve Englehart was doing Doctor Strange. Um, yeah, uh, I, I hesitate to say it, but uh, yeah, get on this book because it's magic. Yeah. Oh, very nicely done. <laughs> and then, sure, one last honorable mention, then we'll finish off yourself another new series that hit this week. Yeah, definitely an odd one. It's a new ongoing from Image. Um, it was described, uh, I think, in, in uh, previews or, or one of them as classic Green Arrow-style adventure in terms of the social justice involved blended with the thoughtfulness of concrete in a superhero odyssey for mature but uncynical readers. Uh, the, 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 the hero of the title, Frontiersman, is coaxed out of retirement by an environmentalist group only to find that being a spokesperson makes him a target for old enemies and new enemies alike. Apparently it's a, it's a, it's for the superhero reader who's looking for more. And I find it really interesting. It's a really interesting take on edge, you know, having, you know, you maybe feel you've, you've earned a rest 
and being dragged back into activism in one's waning years. And it really, it really resonated with me, you know. Um, I think, I don't know, because maybe I'm not as angry as I used to be about things. And I don't have time to be as angry, you know, and it, maybe it's not good for my mental health to be as angry. But, you know, we see a whole lot of Frontiersman's past and, you know, without him feeling the need to live in that past. And I'm interested to see a wee bit more of that background. And, you know, the writer, uh, Patrick Kindlin, you know, when he's got a two-page manifesto at the end that sort of decries the, the fall of quality in the big two. But, I mean, I'd counter that by saying this sits very well next to Tom Taylor's Son of Kal-El, which, you know, in showing the effects of superheroes taking a role in activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the artwork by Marco Ferrari is clean and lovely to look at, and, and I'm down for number two. I uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, I really dug it as well. It was a sort of a unique take on a superhero uh, story. I always enjoy superhero stories as well, where they've sort of retired to a quiet life, but there's always like some fan out there who remembers them, or someone who'll just bring them back if they find the right sort of reason mm-hmm. for it. But I mean, the difference—the difference there, Alan—is usually that hero, you know, has retired but lives in their glory days mm-hmm. in their head. You know, this is not the case with Frontiersman. He's he's not living in that past. He's moved on from it. Mm-hmm. You know he's, uh, you know, and on one side he's got a he's got a friend who's saying, listen, don't don't get involved, or you become a scapegoat, and there's another someone else saying, get involved, this is what you do, you know, it's, uh, and there of course there's an environmental side to it as well, which which resonates with me as well. So, uh, so yeah, there's a there's there's a couple of things here that are really resonating. So I'm looking forward to issue two. Excellent, excellent. So that brings an end then to sort of the the quick picks or the quick reviews, uh, honorable mentions section. We'll move on to our picks of the week and. Oh my God, between the two of us, we have become so predictable. It is unbelievable. But you know what? There's a reason we keep picking these titles and we're going to go into them now. So first up, Do you want to go first? I'll go first, sure, since you just finished off a Frontiersman. So for me, pick of the week this week, again, absolutely no surprise to anyone who listens to the pod, comes into the store, or just appreciates great comics. Uh, Nightwing 84 was it for me this week, which was written by Tom Taylor. But an artist change for this issue, which is Robbie Rodriguez and... Just as I was mentioning, Chip Zdarsky was inevitable. So is Tom Taylor occupying a pick of the week spot. You know, we... we so Thanos is inevitable. Yep. Darkseid is inevitable. Tom Taylor is inevitable. We really do try our best. We promise not to pick the same titles. But when they're delivered with this much style and heart, you know, it's impossible not to. You know, it's what's cool about this issue, Nightwing 84. So first and foremost, it's, it's a jumping on point for new readers. And also, it's a textbook example of how to do an event tie-in book while not sacrificing your main story too much. You know, the first part of this issue is spent tying up loose ends from the end of Taylor's first Nightwing arc, uh, while the second half focuses much more on tying into the events of Fear State, you know, Tinian's epic goodbye event to the Dark Knight. You know, I'd, I'd mentioned the change in artists there. Obviously, uh, uh, sometimes it's a worry going into an issue of change of artist, and Bruno Redondo's art has been as vital to the top-tier status of the second-best Robin, his title, as Taylor's writing, has been. There we go. There's a response. I'm not even going to <laughs> But I mean, that's not to say that the standing in Robbie Rodriguez was ever a worrying prospect in terms of their art style, because he's an excellent artist in his own right. It's just sometimes a change can be jarring. But but with this being a fear state tie-in, the timing sort of works well, because it allows Redondo to get ahead on the main title at, uh, and the main story they're telling. But as ever with the Tom Taylor issue, for me, what's great is how packed this issue is. You know, you've got... The issue kicks off with Dick thinking about his decision to take on as much responsibility 
as Dick Grayson in Helping Bloodhaven as, as he will with Nightwing. There's a great, an absolutely great scene, maybe one of the funniest scenes of any comic in years, where Dick is making sure that his dog Haley is looked after. Uh, he even remarks that having to go to Gotham is bad timing, considering everything he's taken on. And then there's all that fear state action as well, including a really class, old school, nostalgic team up with Batman. You know, Nightwing, it's it's just an absolute pleasure to read each month, and Taylor will always hit you in the feels at least one time in an issue. And here he pulls it off after Batman intervenes when Nightwing was in danger, in Crime Alley, no less, with Bruce telling Dick, I watched my parents die in that alley. I wasn't going to let that happen to my son. Just an absolutely brilliant issue, as ever. Stuff with little moments, big moments, and always leaves you wanting more. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll try not to pick 85 as a pick of the week when it hits, but at this stage, we cannot promise that won't happen. That, uh, that that seems fair. That seems fair. I mean, quality comic books is quality comic books. Yeah, there's a reason we keep picking these titles, guys. There's a reason we keep telling you to get on them if you're not. And, and again, what's cool about this, as I say, it's a jumping on point. So you can read it just if you want to read Fear State tie-ins. You can read it if you just want to jump on Nightwing. But you also will be able to jump on it. And then the trade is uh, on its way in the next few weeks, I believe, which uh, will cover Taylor and Redondo's first arc. So, yeah, just absolutely essential comics everything we love about comics in one issue so for me nightwing 84 so while that was me sounding like a broken record i will now hand it over to you to sound like a broken record 100 percent. uh so my pick is that texas blood number 10 by chris condon and jacob phillips and we have picked this book so many times and after interviewing the writer and the artist it's hard not to come across as a bit of a suck up but regardless this this is the best book in the market. <laughs> I mean, Chris Condon's writing and Jacob Phillips' art keep a consistent high level of quality that just keeps you coming back, but every time it brings something new and something unexpected in the issue. So this is Eversol 1981 Part 4, and it has in our flashback to 1981, then-Deputy Joe Bob Coates, and the extravagant Harlan Eversol following up on the clue of the main glyph bat tattoo that the uh, that Eversol discovered in the last issue. While we've also got Joe Bob sit down with his grieving friend, uh, the mother of the uh, of the, the kid who's disappeared, and Eversol's heated argument with Sheriff Cooper, realigning things as the investigation pushes forward. So as always, Condon builds tension by slowing the roll of the story we know there's something dark and bloody coming around the corner but it's made worse by our imagination as we dither to avoid moving forward to to encounter that darkness and that's modeled modeled beautifully in this book this particular issue by Eversol and Joe Bob's investigation of the house whenever Joe Bob goes into the room and you know he sees things in the torchlight and then the relief whenever they switch on the light and they realize it's a statue rather than some monster that was pursuing him, you know. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely, you know, it seems that <laughs> that criminals aren't the only cowardly lot. <laughs> but it's, uh, it was very, very, I mean, that, that relief, I felt that relief whenever they, whenever Eversol turned on the light and the two of them were sitting laughing against the wall in this really serious, ridiculous situation, you know. It, it digs into both Joe Bob's relationship with the tragic Freeman family, and that one transition scene where where Joe Bob goes from young Joe Bob goes from wrestling on the ground with a kid to the kid lying on his back on a slab 
Oh my god, that was just uh, that was just uh, the most like just a visual gut punch. It was absolutely incredible. I texted you about it, I think, at the time. Yeah. After I read it, I was like, I mean, Alan, Alan just gets text messages from me randomly, you know, because I know he's read the issue with no context whatsoever. And it goes into Sheriff Sam Cooper's reasons for mistrusting Eversol beyond the colloquial territoriality that you had sort of expected. You know, this this series gives us so much to invest in, but also so much to hang our nascent fears on. It's almost like it gives you a coat hanger to hang all the things you're thinking on. You know, it's and Jacob Phillips has become an absolute expert at conveying emotion and thought through the expression of the characters, and also in his use of style and colours to delineate past and present. Because you know, this all takes place against the the background of, of an older Joe Bob telling one of his colleagues the story. There's the universal theme of darkness, you know, in the in the series is highlighted in the app naming of the Bruce Springsteen album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is just a fantastic album. You know, just go ahead, switch this off and listen to that album. <laughs> no, know? no, come back. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 no coincidence that the sounds of that album come to mind when you're reading this issue and this arc of that Texas Blood, because in the back notes of the book, Condon discusses the influence of the album and him almost inclusion, including it in the book's official Spotify list, which he didn't because uh, you know it's set in New it's set in New Jersey and there's a set in Texas and stuff, but uh, it's definitely worth a listen. But yeah, this you know the the this is just Condon and Phillips' continuation of a perfect streak of a perfect series in, in, in the 10th issue of that series. This is, this is one of the most phenomenal comic book series around, you know, it's, it's something else, something else. Yeah. I mean, I remember you saying after issue nine that you would, you swore you would not pick it again as a pick of the week. And then I think I read 10 before you, <laughs> yeah, I may have even messaged you going, good luck, not picking that as your pick of the week. <laughs> There was just so many great moments in it. Just the amount of weight that the characters carry, the the conversations, uh, the dialogue is some of the best around. You know, it's even just little things like you're you're so well versed with Joe Bob as a character now that anytime he literally just says "well," you know what that "well" is loaded with. You know whether it's sad or it's happy or it's inquisitive or it's or whatever. Like the characters just feel so dense and three dimensional and. You know, I, I think I remember, I think it was issue five I bought a page from. No, it was issue seven because it was the start of this arc. And I just thought this has got to be something special and they are not letting us down. And it's really interesting because I I support uh, Phillips and Condon on Patreon. And every single month without it fail, I have received a hand-typed letter from Chris Condon at checking in, saying how you are. Hope you're enjoying the title. Thanks for supporting us. And we promise that's not the only reason we, you know, I highlight this title so much. It just is class. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's, it's the guys are just doing fantastic, fantastic work. I mean, and we've compared them before to to Ed Brubaker and and Sean Phillips and that. I mean, that that it's a well earned comparison. Yeah, it is. It is for 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 guys that just have not been doing it for as long. And and obviously, there's the obvious comparison of father and son. But Jesus, these 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 two, like these two are are fantastic and this series is just you know absolutely yeah same again that texas blood if you haven't jumped into it just yet 
that first trade is available for six issues and that it's part of images you know ten dollar price point first volumes as well like get on it it is fantastic stuff that's just going from strength to strength and with this week a pick of the week was issue 10 which was part four of the latest story arc so that is going to wrap up the 22nd of september we'll just jump straight into the 29th of september and again this was another big week uh i mean keith clearly didn't think it was big enough he decided to throw extra stuff on top but for me i had 28 titles in total which were 10 dc six marvel and indie once again winning out with 12 indie books um what about yourself um i had a massive week i had 34 titles um total uh seven dc 14 marvel and 13 and then as you say i did get an extra four back issues not my fault completely your fault because you said two things dick grayson is batman mark bagley and art uh so i picked up that batman reborn uh four issue uh arc um thanks yeah if anyone ever doubts how well i know my customers you know I, I can literally distill it down to one or two elements but yeah just i came across those issues and i had three of them i think to hand and then we happened to have the fourth one in the bay so it worked out nicely but but yeah so a packed week this week and again tons to discuss again we'll kick things off with the old quick picks and we'll kick things off with another uh two very different number 20s but two number 20s nonetheless mm-hmm. two indie number 20s um so Day finished this week with number 20 uh, being the final phase on the 20-sided Day of Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans' um, tabletop role-playing game Epic. Um, have to be honest, this would have been my pick of the week. Um, and as I said, it's, it's one of the, the best and most relevant series of the past few years, and it, it, it came to an end this week. And it did so by asking and answering the question as as to why we play games, and in this case, in particular, tabletop role-playing games. And the response to that question would apply almost as well to any fandom that has the potential to turn toxic, whether that be movies or comics or or anything like that, but but most appropriately to to tabletop role-playing games. And that, as as a lifelong uh, role-player, totally, absolutely resonated with me, but I don't think only because of that. You know... It was an appropriate end to an immense series, beautifully attended by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. I will say no more because I believe we're going to do an upcoming book club on this one. I believe so. Uh, a book club that will be anticipated with a new voice on it, no doubt, as well. Uh, someone who will be bringing their own considerable expertise to the table. But we'll hit, we'll save that for another time. So yeah, that was the end of Die with number 20. And the other number 20 I wanted to throw some love out for again chalk it off your bingo card something is killing the children number 20 and written by james Taylor in the fourth art by Werther Werther della dera and this series continues to be phenomenal you know this was the the fourth arc being wrapped up and we see even more now how erica slaughter came to be and i think it's all it's always an interesting thing to do an origin story after the fact because we know a certain amount already we know a character will survive whatever is thrown at them as we have seen them of course in the future but but somehow this arc was just so well written. It had us fearing for Erica the whole way through it. You know, even if we know she is going to survive, it's really interesting to see how she does so and also how the experience is going to change her. I also think the art on the series is getting better and better. The you know, there's interesting unique layouts the whole way through it, double page spreads, loads of, you know, interesting angles, and always expressive and emotional characters as well. So as I say, this is the end of arc four, so the trade won't be too far away and uh 
Also, definitely keep an eye out for the spin-off series, which is coming very soon, House of Slaughter as well. So, yeah, just great, great stuff again from uh, Tinian and Deladero. Yeah, fantastic. Really, really enjoying this series, continuing to to enjoy this series. Uh, yeah, that's another one that, that comes up all of the time. Absolutely, but uh, we'll change tack from uh, the indie side of things and throw out a couple of, couple of DC titles next. Uh, first up for yourself. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it already. Um, well, not not this particular issue, but this series. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number three, as Tom Taylor just continues to write John as a modern Superman for for the modern world. A um, lot going on this, uh, this issue. Um, you know, it, uh, Superman is never engaged in, I guess, activism. And, uh, you know, he's... He's always let humans sort out their their human things, but John can continues to carve out his place as 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 the successor of Superman, um, and and he's not he's not scared to not that I'm saying Clark's scared. He just he doesn't feel it's his place, you know, to to confront the authorities, you know. But in the in the modern era, you know, not that they've ever been right all the time, but in the in the modern era, it's clear that the police aren't right all the time. You know, and, and 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 the authorities aren't right all the time, and and John's not not scared to confront that, and as as a result of that, ends up in in prison, <laughs> you know, which is maybe one of the oddest places that he's ended up in in his in his young life, um, as he's arrested for the by the Metropolis Police, um, for 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 standing up, but it's natural, you know, it's in the way that the way that the way that. Tom Taylor has been writing John this is a natural progression so it's 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 pretty cool and then on the other side we have um I guess the Kent Farm the family side of things as you know Clark's preparing to head off planet for an extended mission uh you know and and, and the older the older Superman Clark expressing his belief and his son to protect the earth in his stead um you know, and that, that conversation is just, again, Tom Taylor just gets you in the heart every time. You know, John is like, no, you can't go. The people of Earth need you. And he goes, no, the people people need Superman. And that's you now. I'm the man of tomorrow. You're the man for the days after. Just just beautiful stuff, you know. And then, and, and as we talked about earlier, uh, John brings his friend Jay home to meet the family for the family dinner. And, you know, Jay's quite... He's unfazed to meet John's father, Superman, but he's really flustered to meet his mum, Lois Lane, because he's a, a reporter or, or a wannabe reporter or a you know a, a modern day reporter. But but yeah, and then it, it all ends on a shocking note as the villain Henry Bendix, who comes from the Wildstorm universe, apparently destroying the Kent form. You know that that's it was just such a good such a good issue. Uh, you really enjoyed it. Yeah, must have you excited bringing in some stuff from the Wildstorm universe, I would say. Yeah, oh yes, definitely. I'm just, I mean, I'm just holding out here for uh, for Matthew Rosenberg's Wildcat series, so. We'll jump straight onto Twitter after this. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, Superman, Son of Kal-El continues to be great, as you would expect. You know, it's, Tom Taylor, he's, he's nothing if not someone who can, you know, approach books in different ways. He's, he's got great variety as a writer. And Superman, Son of Kal-El, it's a very different book to something like Nightwing, but still infused with the same amount of heart and great character work. And I'm paired again with a great artist. John Tim's style on this is, is fantastic as well. Mm. So, 
Uh, yes, sir, man, son of Kal-El 3. We jump from uh, Metropolis to Gotham. And for me, I really, really dug this. Actually, this week, Batman versus Bigby, a Wolf and Gotham number one. So, new series uh, from Bill Willingham, who was the creator of Fables, uh, art by Brian Level. And there was just something really pleasingly old school about this issue. You know, the world of comics has always been fertile ground for unlikely crossovers, whether it was Dread and Batman or Superman, Muhammad Ali, or even DC and Marvel at various points, though not as many times as maybe we would like. Uh, so yeah, when I saw there was a title coming which pitted, you know, the Dark Knight detective against the big bad wolf from Fables, I knew I was going to be all over this. Ooh. And what is fantastic about this as a title, and this may sound really, really obvious, but it's a detective story. First and foremost, you know, it's not an end of the world story. It's not a save the city story. It's a detective story and very, very simple uh, setup. Bodies have been turning up in Gotham with strange bite marks and fur found at the scene. But as Batman is investigating the scenes, he also senses that he's being tracked. This is not Batman as a superhero, but as a detective. And that instantly sold me in the concept because there's just not enough books that make that distinction for me. You know, brilliantly written, beautifully drawn. What's not the love? brilliant first issue i know you're not a i know you don't know an awful lot about fables or have read an awful lot about fables but i don't even think you need that knowledge going in yeah i mean i read i read the first um compendium whenever we we did our first book club or one of our first book clubs second book club way back when uh, mm -hmm. but i never went any further but that's not to say i wasn't interested um so yeah uh, just not interested enough to pick this up yeah so that is batman versus bigby and oh my goodness we come to another 20 <laughs> 20 yeah. is the magic number uh, and that's once and future 20 uh, another Kieran Gillen uh, number uh, with Dan Mora and Tamara Bonvillain on art uh, with once and future number 20 so last issue really set the scene with the new the new world uh, where at least in England uh, the, the fantastical and the, the real were were melded together and uh, you'd really need to read this because this this is a cold start you know you've got a bus sort of veering down a road followed by a truck crying a big bell and Duncan's making the bell ring to keep ferries away as this bus full of old people from, from Bridget's home, Bridget's old people's home, uh, are, are pulling up in front of the Grail Castle, which may or may not be in reality, might be in the story, might be in mythical England. You know, we've got, you know, resurrected Arthur. There's a, a battlefield has sprung up as uh, as an, another king, another hero. Uh you know, is, 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 is ready to face Arthur and it's, you know, what's going on between Arthur and Merlin um, is, is, is just crazy. We've got, you know, Galahad and Lancelot involved. But I think the real fun stuff was happening between Bridget and Duncan and Rose. And we're sort of reminded about how dysfunctional Duncan's family is as now they've arrived at the Great Castle and the, the, the old people are safe. Uh, you know, the Great Castle is difficult for Arthur to find because of his essence. Um, Rose sort of suggests that it's a she need, they need to go to Bath to to bring her parents to safety and Bridget's like that would be too dangerous and you shouldn't try to be a hero and Rose just counters with this argument that not every daughter wishes her mother was dead, which is, that was a line. Yeah, absolutely, and that just really hits home. And I thought <laughs> Bridget's going to kill her, <laughs> but she walks away. And, and all of that stuff uh, is just it's just immense, you know. And so we have a wee bit of a work through here as Bridget comes to terms with that. And we talk about, you know, the relationship between Bridget and, and, and Duncan and how she tried to protect him. But 
the same time trying to make him be Percival. It was, yeah, yeah I mean, this is it's just such a good series, such a good series. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just, there's there's so much going on here. Yeah, Once in Future has been a long favourite of lots of guys in the store, long-time favourite of us on the podcast, of course. First few trades are available, definitely worth catching up on. I mean, the story is, is great. The art is fantastic. The colours are great. The world that's there is great. Uh, there will be a, a hardcover coming out soon, which I think is going to f- uh, have the first three arcs, but trade paperbacks are available to get caught up on. This is, is definitely one of the best boom titles about. It's, uh, I mean, it's massively heavy in all those fantasy elements that are getting heavier and heavier because England has been transformed into other world, you know, so it sort of links to Marvel's Excalibur a wee bit in that way. Mm-hmm. And they're just not scared to delve into stuff and, and re- tell a really deep story and, and, and delve into those that mythological past you know it's so good so good well from one issue 20 the next one's not quite 20 but it's close enough 22 and it's uh batman superman 22 written by gene luna yang and art and this one by paul pelletier batman superman's really interesting because you banged on at me for ages to read it when joshua williamson was doing it and i wasn't on it yeah. and then a new creative <laughs> team came on and i went oh, i'll give this a go uh, it's such a shame this is the final issue. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this title from when Yang took over from Williamson. He explored really interesting ideas in the issues, you know, utilizing metafictional plot devices in his in his series. You know, the last arc was the Archive of Worlds story arc that used film role as example with characters being caught within it. With this last issue, it's the framing devices of comics themselves. Uh, plot-wise, it's straightforward and just highly enjoyable one-shot. Here comes me butchering pronunciation, but this one has Mr. Mixitzelplix. I cannot <laughs> pronounce that for the life of me. Yeah, I don't uh, think you're supposed to be able to, so you're all right. <laughs> well, he basically turns up in Arkham Asylum the day of the A-Day attacks, which, of course, we've seen in, in other books, and he offers Calendar Man a chance to wreak havoc. He basically bestows upon him a magical hat that allows him to see the panels in the comic book that he is in. The entire sequence to the end of the book and how he's able to manipulate it all to his own benefit you know this includes like punching between frames you know punching from one page onto another setting things up in one panel but paying off in another because the the other characters don't know what's coming but calendar man does there's just so much to enjoy here again it feels very nostalgic for what i think is a time that's passed in comics you know the fun one shots so many comics these days they're so concerned with six issue arcs and what's going to be in the graphic novel and long story sometimes just a really good one shot is what you want uh genuinely sorry to see this series finish up although i say that and it looks like a certain mr mark wade maybe on his way back to dc to to do a little bit of world's finest so something to keep an eye out for in the future but yeah really really cool uh series under gene lun yang and again sorry to see it go so Batman Superman 22, and speaking of sorry to see a writer leave a series. Mm-hmm. So I've got Amazing Spider-Man number 74, Legacy Issue 875, and it's got a, a raft of writers involved, um, writers and, uh, sorry, uh, creators involved. This is uh, Nick Spencer's final issue on The Amazing Spider-Man, and it really delivers it delivers on seeds that were planted way back in Nick Spencer's first issue. Uh, we've gone through, we've gone through so much to get here. Um, we've gone through, you know, we've gone through Hunted and Sins Rising and Last Remains and King's Ransom and Comedian Conspiracy and Sinister War, 
to get us to get us to this the the epic conclusion of the Kindred Saga and the epic conclusion of of Nick Spencer's uh, run on Spider Man and. I mean, what better way to do it than just throw absolutely everything at it? Uh, everyone who's ever fought him at one time, uh, clear up some of the stuff in the Spider-Man mythos that everybody hates, and and leave it on a really high note. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there was there was so much in here that that harked back to Spider-Man's sixty-year history. There's so much <laughs> to get through in this issue that. You need to read it more than once, uh, definitely, and uh, just so much crammed in. And you know, if you're a Spider-Man fan, as I am, this is a love letter. This is a love letter. This is Nick Spencer's love letter to his own run and, and to everything that came before. And you know, it's it's like if you're a loyal fan, it's it's your payoff for sticking through the good, the bad, and you know, it, uh, yeah, it's it's. It's an ending and it's a beginning. Uh, it's 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 a new start. It's a total change to the to the to the status quo of of uh, Marvel's flagship character. Uh, I really I really enjoyed this. There's no point in me going into the details of it. Um, it looks great. It you know it, it it felt great. The artist lineup in this issue was fantastic. Um, Marcello Ferreira, Carlos Gomez, Mark Bagley, Z Carlos, Dio Neves. Ivan Fiorelli, Humberto Ramos, they all were there, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, this was it was just a yeah, just a jam, just jam packed, and there was a lovely, a lovely story at the end. Uh, I mean, it, really, what what Nick Spencer did was he he left us Spider Man fans, but just he, he cut out some things, he retconned some things that we just hate, we all hated. Uh, and it's gone, and we've, we've, we're back in a nice status quo again. There was a lovely story about uh, Peter and uh, and Ben Parker's history, and then we had uh, which was which was great the influence that that Ben had not just in Peter but in other people. Um, and then we had uh, we had a story by Zeb Wells and Ivan Fiorelli called Janine, which is the the beginning of the Spider Man Beyond era. Uh, and I've read the first issue of Spider-Man Beyond, and it was class. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be my reintroduction to Spider-Man. I obviously was up and down on Spencer's run, but again, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, Spidey is your guy. You'll always stick through the good and the bad, you know, just like I will with Batman. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to having a jumping on point, and yeah, there'll be, there'll be much more talk on uh, Amazing Spidey 75 in the next uh, episode, so... We will certainly get to that. Uh, next up for me is Robin number six, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Gleb Melnikoff. So, again, this is going to be short and sweet. You know the drill by now. You know, one of the, the best DC titles on the shelves. And for me, it's just getting started. You know, with issue six, the death battle tournament has begun in earnest. And Damien is sort of starting to learn some truths behind what drives the competition as well. But uh, at what cost? I mean, it's quite the last page of this issue. Uh, which of course I will not spoil. You know, just get on this book if you're not already. I promised I wouldn't make it another pick of the week. I nearly did, but you know, decided to actually hold up to one for a change. But I recently made up a couple of packs in store of the first six issues and the first volume trade paperbacks being solicited as well. So no excuses. Get on to Robin. Can't set any plan on that. Yeah, <laughs> seems fair. Yeah. So from the world of uh, Robin to the to the X world, what's up next? 
Yeah, so uh, we've got uh, sword number eight. Uh, it's by uh, by Al Ewing. Here we are again, and uh, Gui Villanova. And this is this is Al Ewing's love letter to Storm. Uh, so Storm, I guess she she was underutilized for a lot of. A lot of the X-Men relaunch, um, save for Marauders, but uh, since Giant Size X-Men, Storm has taken her place as the Queen of Mars and the Regent of the Soul System. Uh, she speaks for us all. Uh, you know, now that now that the, the mutants have, have taken over Mars and made it uh, Arakoa. Um, and in this issue, Al Ewing makes it clear that he understands that Storm is an absolute badass uh the the whole issue is the whole concept of the issue is her fighting to keep her leadership of mars uh and it reminds you of the of some of the classic the iconic storm leadership battles you know her leadership for the the original marauders her leadership for the x-men versus cyclops she's just not to be messed with and she despite being a queen she is always that 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 back alley pickpocket uh, you know who always has a blade, and will 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 just always has a has a way out or a, or a, a secret weapon. Uh, so this just really gives her this this fantastic spotlight. Um, and you know Ewing is really he he's really building, you know, the world of 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 Arako, who which was the you know the sister island for for Krakoa and. The, all the people from the mutants, the Iraqi, have all colonized Mars now with giant size X Men, and you're sort of looking at the politics of it and the the practices and Storm's involvement in that. Uh, yeah, and it's great, and we really see how absolutely terrifying Storm's powers can be and her regal nature. Not just, you know, she was worshipped as a goddess on Earth. She was, you know, she was the the wife of the Black Panther and the the, the queen of of Wakanda and now she is the queen of a planet and the represent representative of an entire solar system. So yeah, very, very cool. As I say, a love letter to Storm and, and her legacy and Al Ewan just doing some fantastic stuff again, not for the first time this week. So a couple of Marvel love letters in a row there from you. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, I'll continue with a little bit of love for some Marvel stuff. Uh, next up for me was Thor 17. So continuing Donny Cates' run on this one. Different artist uh, as opposed to regular artist Nick Klein. On this one, it's Michelle Bandini. And for this, it's a three-part storyline called Revelations. And this comes to an end with this issue with family drama plenty and some great action scenes as well. I mean, I do think it feels a tiny little bit like filler, a little bit like the two-issue storyline between Kate's opening arc and Prey, but it certainly doesn't mean that it's not worth your time. You know, it's it continues to be one of the most sort of vulnerable portrayals of Thor we've seen. You know, he's continuing to doubt his worthiness. The crime weighs heavy. But again, the family dynamics here are really interesting and strained at this point, so it's definitely worth checking out before the Throg one shot in 18, which I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> and then the next big storyline, which is God of Hammers, which begins in issue 19. I mean, you probably got a bit more out of this issue than I did, given the Thor family dynamics. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you, you're familiar with the, the problems with Odin and Thor uh, and, uh, you know, all of the stuff that uh, that his mother was doing, Freya was doing, and, and, and uh, War of the Realms and such. Um 
his sister Angela came from Top Cow, actually. Mm-hmm. She was a character that was coming uh, in from Top Angel Cow. Angela, was it? Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and became Thor's Thor's sister. Um, so yeah, there's yeah, it's it's, it's a bit of a family issue, and uh, it looks like we're we're starting to move things forward. Maybe get to the bottom of why Mjolnir no longer obeys Thor. But before that, bring on Throg. Uh, <laughs> still staying in the Marvel wheelhouse with one more, I believe. Uh, are we? Yeah, Starcock. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the second issue of uh, Darkhawk by uh, Kyle Higgins and Juan and Ramirez. Uh, I really enjoyed the first issue of this. The second issue was even better. So our new Darkhawk Dark Hawk, um, is Connor Young, uh, a 17-year-old basketball star. He had his whole life ahead of him uh, until he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And now Connor struggles with what that means for his future. And it's probably therefore not the best time for him to have received this mysterious and powerful amulet that transforms him into an armored superhuman of some kind. Um, kicks off with uh, with Chris. You know, he's he acted as Dark Hawk in the last issue, but he's standing in front of his mirror and he's, he's, he's setting his hand to the mirror at his own height and realizing that whenever he transforms into Dark Hawk, he's shorter. So we're, we're coming to the, I think, the understanding that uh, that the original Darkhawk host came to. Um, I can't remember. Chris, Chris, can't remember what his name is. Um, where, in actual fact, whenever he turns into Darkhawk, his mind is going into the consciousness of an android body. And that android body, his body has been transferred into an alternate dimension and swapped with that body. So that's it's a wee bit sort of macabre, but... But yeah, it's just Kyle Higgins, you know, obviously on on Radiant Black and and a few other uh, ordinary gods at the minute. But this most effectively, I think, reflects Radiant Black. Uh, there's a whole lot of cool stuff going in here, um, and it's just yeah, I re- I'm really enjoying this series. I mean, you're enjoying Radiant Black. You may not have the background with Darkhawk, who was a classic Marvel '90s hero, um, but you could you could pick up issue one, two of this and just really enjoy it. And there was a great cameo in this as well. At one stage, Chris and his buddy go to uh, go to pick up trainers, a new set of trainers, and uh, they get to the front of the line uh, by just saying, "Hey, this is this is Connor Young. This is uh, you know such and such basketball player. You know this that." <laughs> and uh, there's two there's two other individuals standing in the standing in the line, and uh, you know one of them uh, says, "See, seriously, that worked." And the other says, hey, Miles, maybe you should tell them who you are. Miles Morales just looks sideways at Genki. <laughs> Miles just, does uh, love a good set of trainers, doesn't he? Yeah, so that was, uh, it was just a lovely, uh, just a lovely cameo that sort of, I guess, pulled this new Dark Hawk into the actual Marvel Universe. Nice, nice. So Dark Hawk number two there. So we're going to finish off the Honorable Mention section with a couple of indie titles and then go into the picks of the week. So... First up is just from myself. This is a title called Gun Honey, number one. This is written by Charles Ardai and art by Anghor Kang. This is the very definition of throwaway comics. You know, it's as deep as a puddle, but very well told. Really interesting setup and some great art sums up Gun Honey. So uh, for this one, it's it's normally what I would call an Andy title. And if you know what that means, you know what that means. Uh, Our main protagonist here is a character called Joanna Tan. You know, she'll... Never pull the trigger, but she'll put a gun wherever any hitman needs it. She's always able to bypass all security and find her way into even the most 
impossible of scenarios, but uh, the story picks up when a gun she smuggles leads to the escape of a dangerous criminal from prison. She's recruited by the government to essentially make up for her wrongs. You know, with this one, the characters here, they're all really interesting, and really well-rounded. The plot, to be honest, it's straight out of an, act- an 80s action movie. The art's alluring, dynamic, bright, fast-paced. You know, what's not to love? It's Again, it's as deep as a puddle, but it's just so much fun reading it. I, I just always have a, a little soft spot for those 80s action stylings and noir stylings and that kind of thing. And it comes from hard case comics, so they focus very much on the uh, the noir sensibility. So, yeah, just really, really fun. Number two is next week. I'm uh, I'm real, I'm a bit feel a bit guilty about it, but I'm really looking forward to issue two. <laughs> Um, I've got a one shot from Boom and a, and a friend of ours, David M. Bohr, the, uh, the writer on uh, Canto, uh, fulfilling one of his, uh, one of his, his wishes uh, in writing for the first time and hopefully not the last time in the Firefly universe uh, for Boom. So River Run uh, expands on a scene in the Firefly pilot episode in which Simon Tan uh, explains why his sister river is is in this cryogenic crate in the ship's cargo hold it's and in, in, the, in that episode simon has a monologue from that scene and you know it, it it starts with a you know the chilling coded message that i received from river who was in a special school for for the high achievers saying they're hurting us get me out and this this fills in the blanks in that story um they, you know they they maybe didn't need filling but i'm really glad they they were filled those blanks um because it's a really good story you know it's you know all about simon's you know his parents being disillusioned as he throws away his career worrying about his sister and and uh you know starts working with the the underground and and, and the dark elements of society that are completely the opposite of what he was raised on stealing medicine to try and enlist people to do what he needs to do and it's all sort of I guess it's all the lettering is all sort of scripted like a diary or a or a, or a note or a letter, um, but yeah, it was and and and, and David David Bohr's writing is just is phenomenal, um, and it just it fills that gap. It ends it ends with Simon putting River in the in the cryogenic chamber, uh, and that's sort of where Firefly starts. So this was yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed this, um, and I'd love to see I'd love to see David writing Firefly again in future. I know it's one of his favourites. And certainly whenever I messaged him about him about it, there was some veiled suggestion that that might not be the finish of it. Always good to hear. It's always better when these properties have people who love the characters or love the world or are so familiar with the world than being able to to do a good job with it. I mean I'm I'm not a Firefly guy. It's still one of those uh just holes in my geekdom knowledge. I've just never watched it, but uh, I'm sure I will sort it at some point. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on tape here and everything. So, uh, yeah, that was Firefly River Run number one. So that's the, the quick picks from the 29th of September. Uh, we'll go now with our picks of the week. And I'll go first here since you just so eloquently talked about Firefly. And this one surprised me as much as it's going to surprise you that this was my pick of the week. We have talked about some really great titles this week, but this <laughs> issue made more of an impression on me than anything. And I'm... I'm still shocked that I'm actually even going to go with it, but my pick of the week from this week was Berserker number five. So this is written by Matt Kint and Keanu Reeves and art by Ron Garney. And 
Berserker is a strange creature of a title. You know, it was it was announced with loads of fanfare due to Kenny Reeves' involvement. It suffered from delays. It became Boom's biggest pre-order title of all time. And then what we had, certainly from the first arc, was something very straightforward, brutal, thinly plotted, and dare I even say it, a little bit dull. You know, I, I thought I'd continue with number five as it was the start of a new arc. You know, the world and characters have been established, so if they can't make it interesting from here, I may have had to jump off the title, which I know you already have, for example. Mm-hmm. But... What they've actually pulled off here is easily the best issue so far with a story that turns a past that is explored and a conspiracy setup that is really exciting for moving forward. So we're starting to learn more and more about Anut, you know, our immortal main character and how they have managed relationships over the course of their long life. You know, watching people you care for around you growing old and there's you have all this power, but there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop the winds of time. Uh, and simultaneously... You, you don't fully understand your own immortality either. You know, dare you even love if you know it will end in heartbreak? Is it even worth forming relationships? Uh, so also with some of the loves from his past being forbidden ones as well that are explained, there's also the pain of those wrong decisions and the wrong people finding out and bringing harm to you. You know, there's even a scene in it where his body is torn to pieces, but Anut is immortal, so he'll ultimately reform, albeit in really painful ways. You know, love can be painful, not just emotionally, but also physically. You know, all of this just brings... It's just this amazing depth brought to this title, you know, and depth brought to the character that has been sorely lacking for the first four issues. Uh, Add in some background shenanigans of forces moving against Anut, some ill-gotten intentions towards him, and I am right back on this book for the duration of the series. An extremely welcome surprise this was. And if you fancy jumping on Berserker, first trade's available now, and issue five, as I say, is the start of a new story arc. You know, I I think you might have to get back on this, Keith, given your love of immortality and the you themes. See, I, you see, I don't know. I think what you're missing here is, is Highlander. I think that's what you're missing. <laughs> because you're just after saying exactly what you said, and as you were saying... About, I could see you celebrating in the about, background. About daring to love, all I was thinking about was Freddie Mercury's lyrics from the Kind of Magic album, which is the soundtrack for Highlander... <laughs> in which Freddie Mercury says, who wants to live forever, who dares to love forever. You know what I mean? This is, it's all been done. It's all been done. <laughs> you know, so just, just watch I mean, that. maybe that's why it rings more for me because <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, we've talked about it before. It's a bit of a strange comparison maybe, but I've talked about how I can't watch Buffy now because yeah. Buffy at its time was revolutionary. It was ahead of its time, but I've seen so many similar things done better since. That when I went back and watched a couple of episodes, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Yeah. So maybe because I haven't seen Highlander, this all just seems strange and wonderful to me. Whereas yeah, yeah, you're just like, oh, this is so corny. I've seen this all before. <laughs> it's so formulaic. But yeah, just out of nowhere, honestly, like this is a series that's just been very blah for me so far. But this issue really turned it around for me. I thought it was fantastic. But yeah, I, don't, I, don't I don't think you'll be tempted back. You'll just go and watch Highlander I, again. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was it was all right. It's just not it's not enough to keep me. It's not enough to keep me. Um, you know they've they've uh, yeah. But uh, from this side, I would say you definitely need to watch Highlander, and uh, you know that's that's that's, <laughs> that's that's all I have to say about this. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. 
Uh, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, no worries. Well, that was my pick of the week anyway. That was Berserker at number five. So why don't you bring us on home then with your pick of the week for 29th of September? So, yeah, for me, it is Inferno number one by uh, Jonathan Jonathan Hickman and uh, Valerio Shiti. Um Overall, this is a bittersweet issue as we push into Hickman's, Jonathan Hickman's premature finale to his Krakoan era X-Books. And that's not to say the Krakoan era is necessarily coming to an end. Uh, Hickman has successfully set up a new paradigm and a new status quo for, for the X-Books, but his role as head of X is coming to an end with Inferno. And while I think the books are in great hands with Jerry Dugan, and crew with Hickman's influence still being felt, it's really sad to see him go because of what he's achieved. All that said, this extra-sized issue has us off to a running start and covers a huge amount of ground. It retreads necessary ground and expands scenes from early issues of House and Powers of X, recounting Moira's mutant reincarnation power, her meeting with Mystique and Destiny during her third life, and how she's chosen to deal with the threat of destiny in her current tenth life, which is the, you know, the the life that she is living in, and what we're seeing now, and she does that by ensuring that Charles and Eric don't resurrect destiny, despite destiny's lover mystique protestations, and and therein lies the secret and the conflict of the Inferno miniseries. The issue lays out Krakoa's continued attacks against the Orcus Forge, the, the, the anti-mutant um, uh, conspiracy, with Nimrod slaughtering Wolverine and Kid Omega and Domino, not for the first time. We have Gregor and Devo and Karima, the, the Omega Sentinel, discussing these attacks and that they've, they've been ongoing, and they realise that the mutants have not learned anything. And the reason we know that the mutants have not learned anything is because they're being killed on the Orcus station, and therefore they don't, they can't back up their own consciousnesses and their own memories and personalities before that happens. So they never, they never, whenever they're resurrected, never know it. And so the bad guys are beginning to suspect the resurrection protocols of Krakoa, just as Ben Urich is starting to, you know, starting to suspect that in the X Men title uh, by Jerry Duggan. And from there, things get really crazy as readers are brought back to Moira's third life, where she gets attacked by Mystique and Destiny and burnt alive by Pyro. And, you know, back in the present in her 10th life, she visits Muir Island in Paris, where she is picked up by the Orcus agents watching the gateway. And then she goes back to Krakoa to her no room, this area in Krakoa that even the island can't detect. And she and Charles and Magneto have a discussion about Nimrod and Destiny and, you know, later at the Quiet Council meeting with Cyclops stepping down as the cap- commander of captains because he's now part of the X-Men and Bishop stepping up to take his place. And then as that Quiet Council meeting goes on, Mystique drops her bombshell on the council. You know, while, while the X-Books of this era haven't always shown it and while Hickman leaving is seeming... He's seemingly leaving because the other writers are happy to sit on this status quo as it is and not finish the story he had planned. You know, what they, what, what they've done here, what Hickman has done here and what he's created here is, you know, him as the writer of House and Powers at his peak and with Valerio Shidi and Curiel also firing on all cylinders from the start of the issue to the end of the issue. It's just 
the whole thing's just got me really excited for, for what comes next for this whole mini series. I I just don't want Jonathan Hickman to leave. I'm um uh sort of a wee bit disappointed that he's come to this ending point so soon. Um, because I think what he had planned would be would be awesome. You know. Is there ever any sort of reasoning given for why it was ending a little earlier or Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's because it's because the other writers and and, and probably Marvel itself are really pleased with this status quo. They are happy with the Krakoan era and the the mutants being on Krakoa and and all of that, and they want to leave it here. Whereas Hickman had more of a story to tell, whatever that story. So is that a case if he could come back a couple of years down the line? Or... I, I don't know. He plotted he plotted out a lot more apparently to them, and uh, you know they've just gone. It's just it's, I guess it's the problem of comics and and, and especially comics in the big two. Mm-hmm. Well, particularly comics in the big two. Eventually, they always have to come back to their status quo. You yeah. know, and and that's what's what's happened here. He's he has created a new status quo. They're comfortable with it. He's got more story to tell, but they're going. Hold on, we're fine here. Yeah, you know we don't we want can to build off. Yeah, yeah, we can build off of this with other uh, writers and artists and so forth involved without needing his overt input, so to speak. Yeah, but as I say, this is this is Hickman at his house in Powers Peak. Yeah, you know, so uh, very very good stuff. You could you could jump on this straight from House and Powers and probably enjoy it. Oh, that's good to hear. I do have an issue one at home I haven't uh, tucked into just yet. I was slightly wary of jumping in maybe with my knowledge not being as much, but I'm halfway through the X of Swords omnibus as well, Ooh. so I want to finish okay. that off and then I'll uh, I'll jump into Inferno. It's just the four issues, so it's relatively short, but I think all four issues are sort of double-sized or at least 40 pages or above. So Interesting that he chose to name it after an existing uh, X-Men miniseries, mm-hmm. also called Inferno. <laughs> Well, I'll be curious to see what Hickman jumps on to next. It was interesting when I was reading the Mortal Hulk earlier. I got the issue like 15, and there was just this one-page ad that just said Hickman, and that was it. <laughs> and obviously, that was for that was for House and Parts, the X-Men books, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. but it, there was no X anywhere on it. It was literally just a grey page with Hickman in the middle of it, and it just said yeah. at the bottom, 2019 Marvel. <laughs> so. Yeah, I no, I I am equally interested to see what it jumps on to, but I'd like him to finish off decorum first. That would be nice. Yeah, just the one issue to go, and then I can finally read the whole bloody thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so that is Keith's pick of the week then for 29th of September. That was Inferno number one. So that is going to bring it to a close for this week and closing off the month of September. So uh, we're pretty much uh, in terms of uh, reviews. We're we're pretty much there in terms of catching up. So. Uh, we may move to a sort of fortnightly format, but we want to make sure we're doing weekly content. So we'll have previews coming your way. There's a couple of book clubs we got lined up, uh, a couple of other bits and pieces as well. But if you like this format, you know, do, do give us a bit of feedback on it, whatever you prefer. We're just slightly wary of doing a weekly one like this because it might just end up a little bit too short. But, uh, you know, we like to talk, so we like to do it maybe fortnightly <laughs> instead. But as I say, that's going to close off uh, September. We'll be back soon with uh, releases from the 6th of October and 13th of October. And again, there'll be a wee previews pod coming soon your way as well. So I will leave you good, sir, to go and enjoy the rest of your Friday evening. And I will do so likewise. Alrighty, that was really enjoyable. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting an Ewe beer and uh, making a burger and uh, sitting down in front of the TV and hopefully getting rid of this cold that is plaguing me. Yeah, nice wee relaxing weekend. I think it's the way to go before you start moving house and all the stress begins all over again. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. 
Pleasure as always, man. Thank you very much as always as well. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Again, any titles catch your ear on, uh, on the pod this week, just drop us a message. We'll always do our best to get you guys sorted. So uh, thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you in store soon. So I've been Alan Taylor, and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.